Well, good morning. Glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. It's where we're going to be this morning. And, and before, as you're turning there, I just want to give you just kind of a quick reminder of something. You're going to hear me say at the end of the service as well. But on December the 6th, that's going to be our Vision Sunday. It's going to be one of the biggest days in the life of our church. And so you're going to want to be there. It's the Jacobs Farm. It's Don and Terry Jacobs Farm. And so we'll send you all the information out, but you do not want to miss that day. We're going to have a great time of worship under a tent. We're going to have a great time of food and, and, and fellowship afterwards. So please make sure you put that on your calendar, all right? So as we've been going through uh, Revelation, the, the seven, we've been going through the seven churches. We've been taking a different look at each one of the churches. And, and really kind of the ultimate goal of looking at these churches has been basically this. It's, let's look at where they struggle. Where, where does Jesus speak to these churches and tell them they struggle? And then ask ourselves this basic question. Can I resonate with where they struggle, right? So when we look at the church of Ephesus, they would be what we call the drifting church, right? They were the church that was doing all the right things, but they drifted in their love for the Lord. He said, you've forsaken your first love. And, and so they were the drifting church. And then we had the church of Smyrna, which is kind of the fearful church. They were the church that had all this persecution, all this suffering, all this slander going on. And there was this message that Jesus gave them going, listen, I'm in it with you. Why should you fear? I'm in this thing with you. And then we have the church of Pergamum. We talked about a couple weeks ago. And it's the church of compromise. It's the church that allowed outside influences and outside forces begin to invade their lifestyle, their ideologies, their philosophies. And so that church of Pergamum was the compromising church. And then last week we talked about the church of Thyatira. And it was what we would call the adulterous church. If you remember, they allowed a Jezebel type person into the church, gave her a platform to propagate a message that was counter the message of the gospel and the message of God's word, and they allowed it to happen. So for the first time in all the churches, this, this idolatry and this message of immorality had actually invaded and infiltrated the church. Now here's why all these churches are important. It's because when you look at those and go, okay, in my own life, have I drifted like the church of Ephesus? Is there seasons in my life where I say I love the Lord, I'm living for the Lord, but the truth of the matter is I've drifted in my passion for my first love? And if you say, yes, that's me, well, then you have to look back at the words of Jesus where he says, if that's you, then here's what I need you to do to, to make your way back to me. Here's what I need you to do to come back to a right relationship with me. Or you may look at this and go, okay, am I like the church of Smyrna? I mean, has fear kind of paralyzed me in life? I mean, we live in a world right now, I mean, the last year of this world, I mean, it's been a fearful moment, right? I mean, there's fear everywhere. I mean, the cases of COVID have gone up in the last week. And so there's just, there's just this fear among a lot of different people. And many of us allow fear to paralyze us. You know what I'm talking about, right? The fear of things just kind of paralyzes. And maybe that's you. And if that's you, you've got to go back and look at what Jesus said about what it means to come back. Or maybe you're the church, and you feel like you look at your life, and you're like the church of Pergamum, and you feel like maybe you've compromised. Maybe there's some outside influences that you've allowed into your life, that you've allowed to come in, that have impacted you, they've shaped your belief system, they've shaped your convictions, they've shaped the way you, the way you view the world, and you've got to say, man, I, I, I've compromised, just like the church of Pergamum. And you've got to go back and look at the words of Jesus and go, what does it take for me to get back on the right track? Or maybe... You've been like the church of Thyatira, and you've allowed some Jezebel kind of people in your circle of friends. You've allowed Jezebel kind of people, not, not necessarily outside influences, but people that you are close to that don't believe the way you believe, that don't believe the Bible is the word of God, and that it's all suspect, and you've allowed those Jezebel kind of people into your life, and you're like the church of Thyatira, and you need to go back and look at the words of Jesus and figure out what do I have to do to make my way back. Here's the point. We need to look at these churches and go, 
Do I resonate? Do I see myself in them? So today we're going to look at the church of Sardis. And the church of Sardis, if we were going to label them, they would be known as the dead church. All right? The dead church. So if you have your Bibles, chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to begin reading. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, one more time to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. And if you don't have your Bible, the words will be on the screen. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are what? What does it say? Dead. Dead. Wake up and strengthen that which remains is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then what you've received and heard and keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot their name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father, before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. To the churches. May God bless the reading of his word. May you have a seat. Now, as we look at the church of Sardis, I want to just tell you a little bit about the city of Sardis that paints a picture of the church. Sardis was a city where it was located in Asia Minor. It was a city that one day before was a city of great wealth. It was a city of great prosperity. It was a city of great growth. However, when we come to the book of Revelation, at this particular time when this letter is written, the city is on a serious decline. They no longer are a city of great wealth, great prosperity, and great growth. They are a city that is declining. So their best days were behind them. Are you with me on that? Now, here's why I say that. It's because the church of Sardis is a reflection of the city of Sardis. What we're going to find out as we go through these passages, the best days of the church of Sardis were behind them. There used to be a day, there used to be a day, When they were living for the Lord, there used to be a day that they were faithful. There used to be a day that they were making a difference for the kingdom of God. There used to be a day, but in their present situation, that's not the case anymore. Their best days are behind them. They used to be a picture of light, but now there's darkness. And so as we look at the words of Jesus, there's three things that I want you to notice with me. And the first one is the rebuke that Jesus gives this church. He rebukes this church. And let's look at that in verse one at the very end. It says this, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Now, here's the first thing. When you look at the rebuke that Jesus gives them, he says the same thing to this church that he said to many other churches when he says this, I know your works. I don't want us to miss that. We come to it every week, but don't, don't, don't just discount that because here's what Jesus is saying is what is invisible to mankind is visible to me. So when you think you've pulled one over on everybody else, just know this, you've not pulled one over on me. Now, when you were a kid, how many of you ever thought you pulled one over on mom and dad, right? You thought you did something, you didn't get busted, you get in trouble, you thought you pulled one over on them. And and then what you, what the reality is this, you can pull one over on people, but you can't pull one over on the Lord. He says, I know your works. And he says this, you have a reputation of being what? alive. 
That word of life can really be translated in the sense of having a vitality, a strength, an energy, and an activity. So in other words, when the people of the world look at the church, when the people in Sardis look at the church of Sardis, they feel like that this church is making a difference. That this church, man, you have the best children's program in all of Sardis. You have the best worship team in all of Sardis. you got the best host team in all of Sardis. Not in our area, because we have the best team. But in Sardis, you have all the best people. I mean, that when you look at this church from the outside looking in, this is a church that is thriving. It's making a difference. On the outer surface, everything is going great. He says, listen, your reputation is that you are alive. Now, why would Jesus point that out? Because he wants them to know you've pulled the wool on the eyes of the people in Sardis. But I know your true condition. I know the real condition of your heart. That while the world thinks that you're alive, that you're thriving, that you're making a difference, that there's vitality in you, strength and alive, when they look at you going, that church is moving and going, that church has the best ads on the, on the kiosk and the, the marquees on the, in the city square of Sardis, that church does the best thing. I mean, when they look at you from the outside in, they think, man, this church is getting it done. But I know the real you. And here's the rebuke. He says this, you have your reputation of being alive, but you are what? Say it with me. Dead. Now that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Think about it. Jesus speaking to his churches. Going, listen, for the world's standpoint, man, people think you're thriving and you're moving and you're healthy and you're growing. But the truth of the matter is this. All that peripheral stuff may be going on. But in the heart of hearts, in the core of who you are as a church, you are dead. Now, let me just clarify something real quickly. He's not referring to their salvation. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about their passion and their urgency and their liveliness for living for the gospel. He's not talking about their salvation. He's talking about that you, though you belong to me and though you have a faith in me, at the end of the day, spiritually and with your emotion and your passion and your urgency and your drive to share the gospel, you are dead. See, here's what the church of Sardis had done. They had lived on the reputation of when they weren't dead, right? They had lived on the reputation of when they were faithful, when they were living for the Lord, when they were making a difference. They had lived on the reputation of how they used to be. But in their present situation, they were what? Dead. See, the best way to put it is like this. It's like the church of Sardis was living in their used-to-could years, right? Anybody ever play sports in high school? Anybody play sports of any kind in high school? You know, it's so funny when I go back to Popper Bluff, my hometown, it's not a large community. It's about 17,000, 18,000 people. And you go to Walmart and you see people that have been out of school for like maybe a decade or two, and they're still wearing their letter jacket into Walmart. You know what I'm talking about? And you look at these people and they got all their accolades that they've done. And you don't know if it's true or not. Maybe they stole it off somebody. I don't know. But they have all their accolades and all their pins. And you look at the person and here's literally what comes to my mind. Is that they are living in their used to good years. See, you know, you know, here's the thing. When I was in high school football, I was not a bad football player. I did pretty good in football. Had a lot of accolades, a lot of things I accomplished. But that was when I was 18. That was 29 years ago. So let me ask you this. If I were to strap on a helmet, put pads on today, do you think I could do the damage today that I did then? No, I would break something, right? I would be, I would be in traction by the time the day was over, right? I'd be in the hospital, and you'd be coming to visit me because you felt so sorry. Why? Because there's something in me that realizes I can't live in my used-to-could days. I can't live in when I used to be able to do it because the reality is now I can't do it. I mean, I don't even know if I get into three-point stance and stand up again. I mean, I just don't know because I used to could doesn't mean I can't today. Are you with me on that same end? That's what the church was doing. 
They were living in their used to good days of being faithful, loving, passionate, making a difference for the kingdom. But in their present, they were dead. He says, listen, used to, you were a threat to the enemy. Today, you're no threat at all. Think about that. You used to be someone that the enemy looked at you and saw that they, you are a real threat. But in your present situation, you are not a threat at all. And we really see evidence of this in the passage. Now you say, Doug, well, where do I see it? Well, it's not so much in what Jesus said, it's in what Jesus didn't say. If you go back and look at some of their churches, Jesus tells them to stand firm for the persecution they face. Stand firm for the suffering that they're going through. Do you, did you remember any of that being said in this passage? No. This is not a church that Jesus says, stand firm because you're being persecuted or stand firm because you're suffering. Stand firm because people around you are talking. You don't see that to this church of Sardis. Why? Because they weren't facing that persecution. They weren't facing that suffering. Why? Because they used to be alive, but now they're what? Dead. Now they are dead. See, hear me on this. It's not like they were fighting a battle with the enemy and losing. It's that they weren't even in the battle anymore right? It wasn't like they were trying to live for the Lord and facing all of this, this opposition and they needed God's strength to get it through. It's like they weren't even in the battle anymore. They were just sitting back, remembering, telling the old reminiscent stories of, you remember those days when we saw all these people come to faith in Christ? Remember those days when people were getting baptized? Remember those days when we made a difference in stars? Oh yeah, those are the good what? Old days, right? And they were living on the reputation of the past. And here's what Jesus says, your reputation is that you were alive. Why? Because you used to be. But in your present situation, you are dead. Now, let me tell you what that means. That means this church was filled with really two kinds of people. For those that were believers in the church, they were people that were just simply going through the motions. They were doing this, maybe the religious rot and tradition, and they were just simply going through the motions. There was no passion. There was no urgency. There was no, I want to get after it and share the gospel and see people to come to faith in Christ. There was none of that. They were just going through the motions. And then I'm sure in this church, like any other church, there are people in the church that aren't believers. They're there and they're showing up because they're inquisitive. And I'm sure the people that were there were not believers. They were playing church. They probably knew all the church jargon. They knew what to say. They knew when to say amen, when to stand, when to sit down, when to you know, maybe you know, sing the songs. I mean, they knew all the right stuff. But at the end of the day, this church was no longer alive. They were dead. Now, I hope I've labored enough that you go... That's kind of alarming, isn't it? That a church that used to make such a big difference is living on their past reputation, but in the present, the rebuke that Jesus gives them is, you presently are dead. Isn't that alarming? That a church can go being vibrant to a corpse. Now, here's the reason I think it should be alarming to us. Because there's a part of me as a pastor is asking, okay, what are the warning signs then of a church that's dying? And maybe let's put it a little more personal. What are the warning signs that spiritually our passion is dying? And let me give you some warning signs I think we can glean from this passage. One is, is that when our past, when we focus on our past, when we used to could. You know, some of you may look back in your life spiritually and go, you know, there was a season in my life, man, I was so passionate for the Lord. I was reading my Bible every day. I was praying and I was sharing the gospel with people. I was inviting them to church and, you know, I was all about it. I mean, I was so in it. I used to be that way. Well, that's a good sign that maybe something, your passion is dying for the Lord. When you're living in what you used to do instead of what you are doing. See, here's what I believe. I believe when Jesus says, remember 
And you know, he says it all, all through the Gospels. Remember, he's letting us know that we should remember some things to motivate us for how we're to live in what? The present, not remember and focus on the past. And so I think one of the ways that we know that either this church is dying or we're dying in our passion is when we focus on the past. Another one is when we get more, uh, that we become more concerned with what men say rather than what God has said. When we are more focused on what men, the world, and people say to us than what God's word says. And then another one I think that we need to write down is this, is that when we focus on religious duty, not just our relationship with the Lord. When we focus doing all the right stuff, and listen, I'm glad you're here this morning. I am. I'm so glad you're here. I believe God is doing some great things in our church through lives. But I'm going to tell you, being here is not a substitute for you taking this book and you getting alone with your Heavenly Father and just spending time with Him. Going to small group is not a substitute for you getting alone with the Lord and praying and on your knees and seeking his face and taking his word. You giving your money is not a substitute for you spending time developing, growing, and nurturing your relationship with the Lord. One, one sign that we are dying in our passion is when we focus more on religious duty than we do growing our relationship with the Lord. And he says, as a result of this, as a result of them thinking they were alive but dead, look what he says in verse 2, the very end. It says this, I will come like a thief, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 2 he says, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. In other words, the things you are doing are not pleasing to the Lord. What you're claiming and what, how you're living, they're not in sync. Basically, you're like dead men walking. You are like a corpse of a church that's making no difference. So it's like, hey, now all you think you're alive, the true reality is you're dead. And as you, as you do things for the Lord, even those things are not pleasing to the Lord. You are a corpse of a church. I mean, this is a pretty harsh rebuke. And then the second thing I want you to notice is the challenge he gives them. And here it is in verse 2 and then verse 3. Here's the challenge he gives them. Wake up and strengthen what remains that's about to die. Verse 3, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and what? What's the word? And what? Repent. Repent that word we come back to that we all don't like to talk about sometimes, but we see it in scripture over and over and over again. He says, listen, here's the challenge that Jesus gives us church. And it's four things he tells them. First of all, he says, wake up, wake up. Have you ever had somebody in life that you were friends with that were doing some things they shouldn't do? And you just want to grab them by the shoulders and shake them and go, would you just wake up? Would you just discover where you're at in life? Would you just wake up and pay attention to what's going on? Have you ever had a friend like that in life? That's what Jesus is doing. As a church who's living on a past reputation of being alive, but is dead, here's this challenge. Wake up. Discover where you're at. Listen, take a real inventory of where you are at as a church, where you are at as Christ followers. Take a real inventory. And when you see those things, listen, the things that aren't dead yet, start protecting those things. Start strengthening those things. Now, why would Jesus tell them this? It's because of this reason. He's like, listen, while things are bad, they aren't hopeless. While things are bad and, and you're pretty dead right now, they're not hopeless. You still have hope. Wake up. And then the second thing he tells them is this. He says, remember. Now, what's he telling them to remember? If you, if you read it the, the, in context, here's really what he's implying. Remember the truths of sin, salvation, and sanctification. In other words, remember the truths that are foundational to our faith. Remember the truth that we are sin that we're sinners, and that we're sin by nature, we sin by choice, and that for the wages of sin is what? 
death. Remember that. But remember the beauty of the salvation that God so loved the world that he came, his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. Remember, remember the truths about sanctification. He says, remember. Not so you can live in the past, but so it can motivate you in the present. And then he says, remember and keep it. In other words, when you remember the truths, you remember the truths of sin, salvation, and sanctification. When you remember those things, listen, don't just remember them, keep them. Don't deviate from them. Make sure that you obey them over everything else. So not only remember the truths, but keep those truths. Don't deviate. And then the last thing he says is this famous word. It's the word repent. He says, listen, church, you think you're alive, but you're dead. And I want you to wake up. I want you to open your eyes and discover, take inventory. Really, where are you at as a follower of Christ? Where are you at as a church? And as you discover that, remember the truth of the gospel. Remember the truth of God's word, how much he loves us and cares for us, and keep those things, obey those things, and then repent. You remember what repentance is? We kind of defined it a couple weeks ago. It's a change of mind and a change of heart that leads to a change of direction and a change of behavior. That's what repentance is. He says, I want you to repent. I want you to turn from where you were going and turn to where God wants you to be going. Now, here's why this is so important. This is the way back for this church. Jesus has said, your condition is you're dead. But if you want to find your way back to me, if you want to find your way back to being a church that's not just talking about the years you were alive, but actually is alive again, this is your way back. Wake up, remember, keep the truths, and repent. Say, Lord, I'm, I, I'm repenting of the way that I just went through the motions, and I want to live passionately and fervently for you. This is the way back. But he says this, if you don't do this, notice what he says. I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I come against you. In other words, if you don't wake up, I'm going to bring judgment your way. I'm going to discipline my church. So wake up. So he gives them a challenge. And the last thing I want you to notice is the promise he gives them. Look with me in verse 4 through 6. It says this. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, or a few people, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and promise his, and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, did you notice there he said that there's a remnant in Sardis who have not soiled their garments? Now, that's an interesting phrase, not one we use very much in today's culture. But literally, soiled their garments means there are people in Sardis who've not given in to what you've given into. There are people in Sardis who've not been polluted and stained by compromise like the bulk of the church of Sardis. There are people that have stayed faithful in Sardis. And then he says this, to those people and to those of you that conquer, meaning those of you that wake up and repent, he makes two promises. Here's they are. The first promise is this, that he will clothe them with a white garment. That when they die and they step into eternity, that Jesus will clothe them with a white garment. Well, Doug, what's the significance of a white garment? Well, the white garment was used in Roman culture for the athletes who won. They would clothe them in white garments to celebrate their victory. He says, listen, one day, if you do what I'm asking, you wake up. When you step into eternity, we are going to celebrate the victories that I brought in your life. It's going to be a great time of celebration. And then he says, and I will not blot your name out of the book 
of life. Now, this is one of the most misinterpreted passages in all the scripture. Let me give some clarity on it. And that day and time, a king kept a registry of everybody living in the providence. So the Roman emperor kept a, a register of everybody that was living in Rome. And when somebody died, guess what they did? They would blot their name out. Why? Because they no longer existed. And Jesus says, listen, in that moment, if you will wake up and if you will live for me and you'll be alive again, in that moment when you step into eternity, there's going to be a great celebration. And I'm not going to blot your name out because you are not what? Dead, but you are what? Alive. And only that, I'm going to declare your name to my father and to the angels and say, hey, this is Don Jacobs, Lord, and he is one of us. He is a child of the Most High God. I'm going to make an alarm, a sound and alarm of your name to all of heaven that you're one of us. Jesus is the one roll calling us into heaven is what he's saying. Now, how many of you want to hear that, right? How many of you want to hear the thunderous, passionate, I can just imagine deep, resounding voice of Jesus calling your name to his heavenly father going, he belongs to us. I paid for his sins. He is a faithful child to us. How many of us want that name called? And I do. That's the promise. Now, I love that because it's reminding the church of Sardis, remember, remember their condition. They're what? Dead. Here's the way back. And if you come back, here's the promise. Man, when you step into eternity, there's going to be a great celebration. And I, Jesus myself, am going to declare and call you by name. This was hope for them. Such a word of encouragement. Now, as we look at this church, and we look at a church that was dead, that now has a, here's the way back, you've got to wake up, but here's the promise. I think the question we have to ask ourselves is this, not us as a church, but personally us as individuals, am I dead or am I alive? I'm not talking about whether you're saved or not saved. I'm talking about with your passion for the Lord right now, right where you say, and don't do this good intention thing. Well, I wish I was. Don't do that. Honestly, ask the Lord to help you take inventory of your heart in this very moment and answer this question, am I dead or am I alive? And maybe some of us will go, you know what, Doug? I was alive, but I've let circumstances in my life lead me to death. And some of my passion for the Lord is dying. And if that's the case, if you feel like, hey, Doug, I have just been going through the motions, the message that Jesus had for the church of Sardis is the same message he has for us today. And you know what it is? Wake up. Take inventory. And then once you wake up, what? Repent. Repent of just going through the motions. Repent of just doing the religious duty, the things that you're supposed to do, and repent and live a life passionate for the Lord. Why? Here's why I think it's so important for us to do that. So that we might experience revival in our hearts. I've been teaching this Old Testament survey class, which I've been loving, and last week I talked through Ezekiel. And if you've ever read through Ezekiel, it's a very, a very interesting uh, book of the Old Testament. But one of the most famous, uh, famous chapters is chapter 37 where Ezekiel is looking at the nation of Israel that is, that is about to go into captivity in Babylon, and he sees something. You know what he sees? A valley of dry bones. He sees a valley of people that spiritually, here's what they represent, a people that once was alive, once was vibrant, once was living for God, once was given a land, once was prospering, doing a lot of good stuff, but now what he saw in that moment was a valley death. But at the end of chapter 37, 
He sees a vision and hears from the Lord. And the Lord tells Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy. And here's what I want you to prophesy. I want you to prophesy that I'm going to breathe into those bones. And that which was once dead, now I'm going to bring to life. And so I'm going to breathe into them and they're going to be vibrant again. See, I believe if you feel like this morning, you've just been going through the motions and you will wake up to that and you will repent of that, God will revive that which has been dead in you for maybe months. And would you do that? If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, would you ask yourself, am I dead or am I alive? Have I been going through the motions? And if so, will I wake up? Will I repent? And do I desperately need revival in my spirit? Listen, I'm just going to be honest. I think some people in the room today might need some revival in our heart, right? We might have been going through some stuff, and we feel distant from the Lord, and we need revival. This is where it begins. And then maybe there's someone here this morning that you're not a follower of Christ and you've been that person I was talking about and you've been playing church. Well, the message to you is the same message of the church of Sardis. Wake up. Wake up to the fact that it's not about religious duty. It's about a relationship with the Lord. And what you need to do is the same thing all of us need to do that are believers, and that's repent. Not repent so you can have revival. Repent so you can experience salvation. And so wherever we find ourselves this morning, are we like the church of Sardis? Are we dead? Are we alive? And if we're really dead, will we do what he commanded the church to do and we wake up this morning? Will we spiritually let the Holy Spirit shake us, wake us up, lead us to repent so that God will do a work in our lives? Let's all pray together. Everybody stand with me if you would as we pray. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for the power of your word. And God, I know that for some of us in the room today, if we were, if we were honest now, we're not going to tell people or they're sitting beside us or maybe those around us, but maybe spiritually we feel like we've just kind of, we've been distant from you. We feel like spiritually that we are dead, that maybe we've just been going through the motions. Maybe we've bought into the mentality, maybe I just need to fake it till I can make it. And we found out we're not making it. So God, I believe what you have a word for us today is this, is that for those of us that feel like maybe just maybe, we're living in the past of when we used to could, instead of the present of being passionate for you. We've just been going through the motions, Lord. Would you wake us up today? Would you shake us spiritually? And may we repent so that you can bring revival to our hearts. So God, I pray for the believers today. I pray for maybe the one that doesn't know you today, that they would do the same thing, that, they would, that you would open their eyes to the truth of Jesus and how much you loved them and cares for them and died for them. And that today they would quit playing the church game and today surrender their life to Christ. So God, wherever you would lead us today, whatever decision you want us to make, would you help us do that? Would you give us the courage for the believers to go, I really am dead and I need revival. Would you give courage to that one that maybe doesn't know you to say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that Jesus died for me. And I receive him as our Savior. Lord, would you give him the courage to do that? Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to have his way with us this morning. May you move in our lives. May you challenge us, convict us, and change us today. For it's in your precious and your Holy Son's name we pray. Amen and amen.